Good morning, Restoration. Oh, boy. Thank you, ladies, for doing such a fabulous job on that skit. I think as a kid, I was almost as cute as Cyrus, maybe, but I don't know. Um, uh, for those of you who may not know me, I am Leanne Esch, and I have considered Restoration my church home since October of 2015. And I love being a part of a community that has supported me in my journey of just stepping out more fully into who I am. And this is a part of that this morning. Um, the story you just saw acted out was my story. I was little Cyrus, and my sister Lisa is five years older than me, and my sister Laura is four years older than me. I was known in the family as Little Leanne. So someone once asked me to consider my earliest memory of feeling shame. And surprisingly, unbeknownst to me, this was the memory that came to mind. I don't remember, um, you know, we had month, my parents were awesome. They, they were very intentional, had strong value system, and every month they would hold, I think it was monthly, okay. My sister's here, but <laughs> so that's what that was. Um, um, we, where we all had a voice and we all got to say things that we thought were going well and things that we'd like to see changed. And in this memory, I don't remember what the thing was. Um, I just remember that what I had to say felt really important inside. Um, but, you know, to everybody else at the table, rightfully so, it sounded silly, so they laughed. It was Cyrus saying, I really want to go on a date. You know, I was cute and funny, so they all laughed. But in my mind, I, it was serious. And so our shame stories can begin for us in every very simple everyday scene such as that. Uh, the shame messages I internalized from that experience and from others like it were what you have to say is e either silly or doesn't really matter. Um, everyone else at the table is smarter than you, which was true, but you know. You should silence your voice. If you don't say anything, no one will know how stupid you are. These are voices that I still deal with to this day. I followed behind the trail of my two sisters. They were and are very smart, and they seemed successful at everything they did. I always felt I lagged behind, and I developed a strong sense within myself that I'm not quite capable and not very smart. So this story of shame that developed inside me um, you know, has really affected me in ways in my adulthood, but God has really helped me find courage to even get up here and talk about it. Um, but parents, I want you to hear this. You can be very intentional about the messages you reinforce with your children, as my parents were, but you will not do it perfectly. It's impossible. My parents had no idea that I internalized a false message at that family meeting, and there was really nothing they could have done to prevent it. Oftentimes, shame is no one's fault. That being said, I know there are those in this room who had parents or adult figures who regularly reinforced messages of shame, either by things they said and did or by things they didn't do or say. Whether you heard messages of shame that were pervasive and damaging or more subtle like mine, Shame begins through some element of relationship that wounds us. My shame stories, I'm not quite capable, and I should silence my voice, have been particularly active at points in my life when God has asked me to sing or to speak. 
Yeah, you can laugh. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? Um, someplace deep inside of me wants to stay hidden and feel safe in the shadows. Um, when I did my preparations for this sermon, honestly, it felt like torture for a while. And this morning also kind of felt like torture. Everything within me wants to scream out, no, hide. It's like, where's the fig leaf? So, yeah. And yet, there's this still, small voice of God that says, come. Bring what you have, and we'll do this together. So with that courage, I'm here. One of the key things to realize about shame that it often occurs when we are moving towards something that expresses our passions or our gifts. Our fears rise up to try to protect us, and Satan rises up to tell us to stay hidden, particularly when we are moving toward God or stepping more fully into our vocation or our calling. Our sense that we are not enough leads to fear of showing up, an instinct to hide, and a fear of bringing what we have. So I'm going to share some things I've learned about how shame expresses itself, and I will also share a little bit more about little Leanne. I'd like to offer this as a possible definition of shame. I'm sure there are flaws. This is just my own thoughts. Um, Shame is an undercurrent of emotions that comes from an untrue story we have internalized about ourselves, resulting in thoughts and actions that seek to hide instead of express. Shame starts out as a story we tell ourselves due to some interaction or lack of interaction with another person, a need that went unmet or a message that was wounding. So well, I'm going to explore this morning just the expressions of shame in our feelings in our thoughts, and in our actions. So we'll start with our feelings. This was something that was sort of new to me. Um, Shame begins to express itself as an undercurrent in our emotions that's almost undetectable. Um, I always thought shame was just kind of in our thoughts, but as I more closely came to identify it myself and then read the book that Rob talked about um, last Sunday, um, what's it called, The Soul of Shame? Very good book. Um, yeah, I began to realize it's, it's almost undetectable at first. It's like a shift in your mood or a general feeling or just this vague sense that you're not okay, I'm not okay, and you don't know why you feel that way all the time. Um, the essence of shame is first felt and then leads to thoughts, words, and actions. This is why using logic against shame often doesn't work. It's because the roots go deeper than our thoughts to just our felt sense of ourself. Um, Sometimes we can easily recognize the thought patterns but not recognize the emotional root. And for me, this plays out something like this. I need to stop telling myself I'm stupid. I know I'm not stupid, but I still feel stupid. That's just the way it is in my brain. So um, let's see. Uh, Now, let's just talk about the expressions of shame in our thoughts. Last week, Pastor Rob talked about Genesis 3, 9. God's first question to Eve and Adam was, where are you? And Rob pointed out that this shows God's interest in relationship with us. God's second question to Eve and Adam is found in Genesis 3, 11. And I'm going to read 3, 8 through 11 for some context. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? So God's second question was, Who told you that? Recognizing voices of shame in our lives has a lot to do with asking ourselves that question. Who told me that? And in my opinion, there are two um, underlying voices that communicate shame to us. Uh, the first is our wounded core within us. And we all have this. Shame is universal. Everyone deals with it. It's interesting to me to note that the serpent doesn't actually tell Adam and Eve that they're naked. So I'll read a little bit earlier in the story for this context. It's Genesis 3, 6 through 7. And it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So <clears throat> the truth is, we actually are naked. We are vulnerable. We are dependent. And this is the tricky thing about shame. It points out a truth that we're not like God. We are made in God's image, but we are not God. So we distort this truth and internalize it as something like we should be like God. And before they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even Adam had no sense they needed to earn God's love. They didn't struggle with feeling unworthy. They could be naked without feeling shamed. Now that we can see our vulnerability, we falsely need, think that we need to prove that we are lovable. Our naked internal voice says, I am not enough. So the second possible answer to God's question, who told you that, is our adversary, the serpent. Satan loves to chime in and agree with these wounded places of shame within us. Uh, shame, Satan uses shame to distort truth and turn our focus on ourselves instead of God. He picks at those internal messages and tries to use them to make him, us hide, just like he did to Eve and Adam. So now let's explore a little bit about the expressions of shame in our actions. Shame expresses itself in many ways through our actions, and I'm just going to highlight four of the most prevalent. There are actions that express our shame with an internal focus on ourselves, and there are actions that express shame externally by focusing on others. Internalized shame points the finger inward through hiding and rejecting. Just as it was for Adam and Eve, our first instinct when we feel naked or vulnerable is to hide. I don't want to expose my weaknesses, so I just stay hidden. This is little Leanne saying, if you don't say anything, people won't know you're stupid. And this is big Leanne saying, you shouldn't speak. You should just stay in the background where you are comfortable. <laughs> what comes next is we usually reject what we have to bring. The message goes something like this. I am not enough, therefore what I have to give is not enough. We reject what we do have to offer. Um, in my own journey of working through my shame story, 
One particular Bible story helped me become more free in offering instead of rejecting my gifts. And that was the story with the boy with the five loaves and two fishes. Two fish. Fishes? I don't know. Fish. Fish. We're going with fish. <laughs> Clearly, what the little boy had to offer was not enough to feed 5,000 plus people. Yet he gave it, and God took it, gave thanks for it, and God multiplied it to meet the need. Um, so through this story and God's gentle prodding, I began to offer my imperfect offering. And you probably, none of, you're probably not even aware of this, but if you've been coming to Restoration for two or more years, you've been a part of this journey with me. Um, when I first started singing, I've sung on worship teams forever. I love singing harmony. I've learned to be comfortable expressing myself with my body, even though I don't like to be seen, because that feels fully entering into me. Um, but I never wanted to sing solos, because every time what would happen to me is I would get nervous, uh, and then I get short of breath, and then what comes out is just not very pretty. <laughs> So, you know, you can speak and be nervous, and you might shake a little, but it doesn't affect the outcome, but singing was different. So I just made the choice, I'm not doing that anymore. I worked hard for a lot of years to overcome it, and it was not budging. You know, they say the more you do something, it'll get better. Not for me. <laughs> and Matthew, God bless him and his leadership, he was so gentle in just saying, you have something valuable to offer, and I'd love to see you explore that. And I was thinking, you know what? Restoration, they love me. They don't care if it sounds goofy when I'm nervous, right? And here's God saying, give me your incomplete offering. So I started to do that more and more. I said, I don't love my voice, God. I do not love my voice. And yet, you gave this to me, and I'm going to use it. So lo and behold, as I continued to make that choice, to offer what I had, I had positive experiences once in a while. <laughs> it was very helpful. And so I started to feel like, okay, I can do this. And gradually, that little incomplete offering came. I'm offering what I have, and it is what it is. And sometimes, most of the time now it goes well. Sometimes it still doesn't. But my goal is to please God with that and what he's given me. And it's, you know, my heart is not to withhold from God what he has given, even when I don't feel like it's enough. So, um, okay, we're switching back. Now we talked about the internalization of shame in our actions and um, hiding and rejecting. And now there's the external aspect of shame where we point the finger outward through judging and blaming. And the goal here is like, I don't want to feel ashamed, so I'm going to blame somebody else. Um, we see this very clearly in the Genesis 3 story. Uh, I think, so I'll read verses 11 through 13. And he, who was God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So you clearly see they're both trying to blame. I love Adam. He's got a little subtle blaming of God in there. The woman you put here with me, she's to blame. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Kelly, for that one. And, um, 
and then, you know, Eve, it was the serpent. And this is just sometimes, for, for some more than others, this is almost a reflex. Um, for me, I tend to be more internalized with my shame. I think others tend to be more externalized. Um, but we all do both, I think. We judge and blame others to try to cover ourselves and not feel shamed. So the sense here is that, like, I'm not as naked as that person, so I can feel more okay about myself. The end result of all the hiding, rejecting, judging, and blaming is separation and isolation. And we'll talk about more about that in future weeks, but I want to interject just a little something in here about changing our neural pathways. And last week, Pastor Rob talked about how our thoughts create ruts in our neural pathways in our brains, so we keep coming back to those well-rehearsed thoughts. And this happened to me with um, speaking. The well-worn message in my brain said, you should not speak because you hate it. Now, there's a deeper underlying thing there. Why I hated it was because I didn't feel like I was capable. I didn't feel like what I had to say was enough, or I felt little Leanne stupid shame. Um, but the thought in my brain said, you shouldn't speak because you hate doing that. You hate it. So although that's partially true, it's really not the whole truth. It represents now for me an old rut in my brain. Over the past two years, I've had a growing number of opportunities to speak in front of people, also the fruit of the loving kindness of restoration embracing me. Um, while it does bring up fear in me, it has gone well every single time. Although the process is difficult, like almost throwing up this morning, <laughs> the result is something very dear to my heart, and that is giving God glory for what he's done in me. So shame tries to tell me, you don't like doing that. And it's been a long, deep rut in my brain. But now when I hear that thought, I come back at it with a deeper truth to try to change that neural pathway. I usually do actually like sharing with others. I remind myself that it goes well, that God is present with me the whole way through, that people like Colleen are nodding and smiling at me in the audience. I love that. And um, that seem to people actually do seem to benefit when I share. So that rut is getting shallower and shallower and shallower as I just make the choice to do it and record what's true as well as that, you know, to overcome that deep rut of what's uh, somewhat true but growing untrue. So I have identified for myself what I call the pivot point of shame. Once we recognize that the voice is that of shame within us, being echoed in the words of our accuser, we can choose to divert our attention away from ourselves and lift our focus to God. This is the pivot point. Satan wants to keep us focusing on ourselves. It plays like a song on loop. Same message over and over and over again until we finally just give up. The key is, after we answer God's question, who told you that, we can choose to listen to a different voice by saying, God, what is it that you say? Who do you say I am? When we turn our focus away from ourselves and toward God, truth has a chance to speak. I often feel like I need help at this pivot point. I might remind myself what is true and still not be able to move forward in it. Um, this also happened during my time of preparing for the sermon. I got stuck 
and just that feeling like, <laughs> just the feeling of, I can't do this. And I was trying everything I knew to try, and so I texted three of my friends and asked them to pray. And I'm serious, it makes a difference every time for me. Um, I just got lifted, I was able to just press through and kind of rode a new wave of energy to keep moving forward. Um, I've also found that I don't view myself accurately oftentimes, so I've started having the courage to ask people, what do you see in me? And I had to do that and prep for the sermon too. Pastor Rob was, and Amy were gracious to speak into me. When I asked, I had to ask. I don't feel prepared for this. What do you see? Help me see it. And it's really helpful if you can. It's humbling, but I know I need that, so I ask. Um, asking, okay, shame wants to us to live in isolation, but God has created us to need each other. Asking other people to pray or to give perspective of truth can be very helpful in not letting shame hold us back. So shame separates us from God and from others. It also separates us from ourselves. And I'm going to share kind of the end of the little Leanne story to tell you what I mean by that. I need water. Hold on. Okay, so little Leanne... I was a part of a wonderful church for 15 years. I grew and learned there in many, many ways. And every year we did a very large Christmas program. Bus tours came in. I mean, this was a big deal. And I grew up dancing, so I love to dance. And I, for years, danced in the show. And then one year, the person who had been doing the choreography wasn't going to be doing it, so they asked me. And little Leanne went, are you kidding me? I can't stand up in front of, I like to be in the background. I don't want to teach these people. And I haven't choreographed anything since like high school. Like not capable, not capable, not capable. And yet I felt this stirring within me, you know, that uncomfortable thing that says, guess what? I want you to do this. And so I was wrestling with this. And the church had a worship night that I think was built just for me. They asked us to prayerfully consider what things in our lives might be holding us back from moving forward with God. And the name written across my forehead, Little Leanne, was what I pictured. And I knew I needed to let go of that old identity in order to step into fully what God was asking me to do. And so they had given us pieces of paper, and I wrote Little Leanne on the piece of paper, and I brought it up to the cross, and I left her there. It was a sense of I'm banishing this old identity because it doesn't serve me, and I'm moving forward in what God has for me. Um, so now, fast forward to two summers ago. I just now finished, uh, completed a program to be trained or hone my calling to be a spiritual director or offer spiritual listening to others. And as part of that program, twice I went to Baltimore for a 10-day intensive retreat time. Intensive, yes. And um, I was very anxious when I went there because I didn't recognize it even at the time. I was so blind, but my shame voices were just screaming. Everyone here is smarter than you. What are you doing here? This is the wrong place for you. You've got no business giving direction to other people. I mean, what is this about? And it was scary. Like, I was just so full of fear and anxiety. And came to Sunday morning, and instead of going to church or having someone give a sermon, 
they were going to just ha read a Bible story, and then anybody who felt like they had something to say would, would say it. And wouldn't you know, they used the story of the boy with the five loaves and two fish. Yes. So here I am, struggling with my anxiety about being there. And God's saying, remember, Leanne, you just offer what you have. And so I felt this uncomfortable stirring, knowing I had to speak, and I had to speak right away, like first to go. And the woman stopped reading and sat down with the microphone, and I'm going, what do I do? Like, I need to speak, and I wasn't sure how to do it, and she, was, she wasn't sure what I was asking. So I finally just stood up, and I took the microphone from her, and I said, I am the little boy offering my incomplete offering so that God can multiply it, or something like that. That wasn't quite right. Then. And I sat down, and I was just shaking. Like, it just felt like it took so much courage for me to do that. And then it proceeded to go. Everyone else, they're contemplative, so they're listening. And they're sitting in silence with their eyes closed. And if somebody has something to say, they just sit where they're at, and they say it. And I'm going, oh, shh. I didn't know the rules. No, <laughs> that was not an SHIT. It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was shaming myself because everybody else knew the right way to do it, which was sit in your chair and offer your voice, and I didn't know the right way. And to me, that felt horrifying in this state of really vulnerability for me. And um, meanwhile, I'm also doing that logic thing of saying, quit telling yourself you're stupid. You're not stupid. That's old identity. You have a place here. And that's not working. I'm still feeling stupid, right? So the next morning, I wake up, and I'm still in this battle place, and I'm not happy about that. Like, you will not distract me from what I have to receive here. And I'm fighting it. And I'm sitting in a quiet place of prayer, and I hear God say to me, what if that voice has something to say to you? And I'm like, really? Okay, I've been fighting this voice for years, and now you're saying it has something to say. Okay, all right, mean voice. <laughs> what is it that you have to say to me? And I hear, not rising from this mean voice, but from here, this voice that says, I need reassurance. And I realized it was little Leanne. And though I thought I had banished her, that place of wounding was still in there. And I'm like, okay, reassurance. You know what? You did a really brave thing. That took a lot of courage. People told you afterwards that they loved the way you did it, that even the standing up and doing it was meaningful to them. And I just started speaking reassurance to myself. And that was a piece that was really missing for me. I thought shame was just something we fight externally, but it turns out it really comes from a place of woundedness within us that needs compassion. So I've discovered that you can do both. Uh, we need to be tender with our wounds and fierce in claiming our God-given identity. So now when that shame comes, first I'll go to the compassion place, and I've learned self-compassion is very powerful. We should be friends to ourselves. The things that we say to others, we wouldn't dare. Or the things that we say to ourselves, sometimes we wouldn't dream of saying to our worst enemy. So why do we think it's okay to talk that way to ourselves? It's not okay. So I've, I'm starting to learn to be a friend to myself, and it's given me a lot of power in dealing with this. 
So I speak to the wounded place, and then I speak to the other place and say, no, you are not having me. I say things like this. My identity is not, my voice does not matter. My identity is that God has something to say through my naked life. My identity is not, I am never enough. My identity is God is enough, and he is working in and through my imperfect offering. And my identity is not, I need to prove my worth. My identity is, I am loved just as I am. So, my invitation to you this week, I have three of them, so pay attention, these are important. Number one, talk to God. Ask for awareness of your own shame story. Notice how it is expressed in your emotions and in your thoughts and in your actions. Number two, when you do identify something that feels or sounds like shame, ask yourself, who told me that? And number three, speak to your wounds with compassion and to Satan's lies with your God-given identity. If you're not sure what your God-given identity might be, I encourage you to search out for the Bible of what it says about you, and more importantly, what it says about God and the nature of his love. Or I've occasionally tried Googling something like my identity in Christ, and you get some really cool stuff, a lot of truth out there um, to grab onto. So as the band comes forward, I'm going to just read two of my favorite scriptures that ground me in who I am. They're short, um, but they're repeatable in my brain. Romans 8.1, therefore, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8.14 and 15, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Isn't that just a wonderful identity? We are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live again in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. Sometimes in my moments of shame, Daddy, Daddy. You know, it's just, he wants us to come to us like that as vulnerable children. So we are going to um, join together in worship now for one last song and everybody just stand up stretch a little bit don't talk to your neighbor but I feel like this was a lot of information so let's just stretch and then I'm going to encourage we all worship differently and that is beautiful to God and no one should ever feel pressured to worship in a way that is not authentic to themselves however sometimes we do need to stretch outside our comfort zones and I, you see me up here if you've witnessed me on the worship team often with a giant smile on my face and my hands lifted. And that's because I'm identifying with the internal work that God has done, being sung in the truth of the songs. And for me, when I first started lifting my hands, it was like this. Like, is, are people watching? It feels inconspicuous if you're not used to it. But there is something about joining your body with your mind and with your emotions in worshiping to bring our all to God. So if you do feel any kind of stirring to just experiment with that a little bit, just know this is a safe place where people are not looking around judging you. Just be free. Um, regardless of whether you worship like this 
not even singing, but your mind is engaged and maybe your heart's engaged too, or you're like, ooh, whatever. Declare this song over yourselves. This is a wonderful truth. And my hope is this morning that we will be one community reminding ourselves of who we are in God.